Never remain standing, Brother Branham. Thank you, Brother Jack. Lord, bless Thank you. Thank you, Brother. Shall we bow our heads just a moment for prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee again tonight from the depths of our innermost being for the blessed privilege that we have of gathering together under the canopies here tonight in the name of Jesus, the Son of God, who promises that wherever two or three were gathered in his name, he would be in their midst. And we have this blessed assurance tonight that he is here, for we have gathered in his name. And with the divine promise that he gave us, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, that I'll do. And we pray tonight, Father, that you'll in a special way bless the word tonight, Lord, and may it sink deep in every heart. And may the unbeliever become a believer tonight. May those who are weary along the road be encouraged. Heal the sick and afflicted and give glory to thyself. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. And a special good evening to you all. I'm very happy to be here again tonight in the service of the Lord. Glad to see Brother Smith down here. He's a... Uh, from the tabernacle down at Jeffersonville, and I believe I've seen Brother Ahmet up in the balcony up there from up in Ohio here somewhere, a veteran that just healed of heart trouble in one of the meetings. We're glad to see them in tonight. And to see you folks that was here last night, back again tonight, to the gospel feast that we've been having. The Lord's been blessing us uh, the last night. I kind of lived on some of it yet today. You know, we kind of store up that manna, don't we, until the time when we need it, and we need it every hour. Now, it's a marvelous thing to serve the Lord. There's nothing like it. Some people might think that it's such a task to serve the Lord, but I think it's joy. Oh, what a privilege to serve God. And now, uh, tomorrow, uh, our services, I guess, will begin about 2 o'clock. Is that right, Brother? 2.30. Is that for my time to be here or the preliminaries at 2.30? Services. All right. The services, will, the preaching services, will begin at ten minutes till three tomorrow, and we're uh, it'll last an hour or two. Now, the reason we do that, if there happens to be another minister here in the location or somewhere here, the reason I do this is because, as you see, coming in this way, we have this like this, just a little fellowship with Brother Smith and with his church. And as I told you last night, we did. And uh, then in an afternoon, we didn't put this the healing campaign. We just come as a little fellowship together, so that we could have some a uh, little time of fellowship. And now uh, on Sunday afternoon, we have it on Sunday afternoon, where there if there be some people who goes to other churches would like to fellowship with us for a little while. Well, we don't interfere with their services, any other service. Now, if there's I see today that there must be visitors with us. I had a letter here. It must be in my overcoat pocket. I wonder if that little cross-eyed girl that was healed at, um, I, I believe, up here at um, and, uh, one of the Michigan meetings that I, I can't call, uh, where's they? N yes, no, I, I, I believe it was before, that. maybe it was Battle Creek, a little cross-eyed girl that was healed. I got a letter from her today. I had her picture. I wonder if she's in the building tonight. A little cross-eyed girl. and. Um, I think it was healed at the Battle Creek meeting. I got the letter there in my pocket and her picture. And I got a letter from a lady that was healed in, um, in a, a, another meeting here somewhere, just uh, like that. 
It just made me feel real good and um, to read your testimonies. It's always good. Wish I had time to read them and so forth. And, but we keep those testimonies. And one of these days, the Lord's willing on this new thing that I'm starting for the Lord. Many of you, how many take Brother Matson Bose's paper? We call a herald of uh, herald of faith. You know that. Well, the, the vision were, is given in that, the voice of healing, and, and the herald of his coming, and many of those it'll be in. A vision the Lord has just given me, for I believe the most exceedingly abundantly that I've ever known of. And that's why tonight we're just resting and waiting for the Phoenix meeting to start, for God in his divine mercy is, has done something for us that, that I tell you, I believe it's going to be, any, be beyond anything that I have known of in my life. And I believe that the Lord Jesus is coming soon, that great things are supposed to appear like this just before his coming, and we're living in the day to see it as it's advancing on now. Someone said to me not long ago on healing campaign services, you know, is the man who did not believe, who wrote me a letter and, and said that he would like to ask me something. He said, um, the first thing, Reverend Branham, he said, uh, if you're an apostle or a prophet or something, I said, no, nah, I never claimed that. I said, I was a servant of the Lord. I said, I couldn't heal people. Nobody else can heal people. God's done done that in the atonement of Calvary. It's a finished work. That's right. You never got saved a year ago or 10 years ago or 15 years ago or six weeks ago. You got saved 1,900 years ago when Jesus died at Calvary. You might accept it 10 years ago or 15 years ago. But the work and your salvation was completed at Calvary. That's right, already. The thing you don't work up nothing, work down nothing, you just believe what God has already done for you in Christ and it's finished, that's all. Like if you'd buy me an airplane ticket to go home on or something else, it's already paid for. The only thing I have to do is accept it. That's the way divine healing or any attribute of the death of Christ is the same grounds. Finished work at Calvary. I know we've got a lot of quacks out on the field today. We realize that. Uh, preaching divine healing, you got a lot of it preaching salvation, too. That's right. Certainly we have. But you have to know that it takes the, it takes the bogus dollar to make the, the real dollar shine up in value. And the Bible said, as Jambres and Jambres withstood Moses, so was the, the Bible predicts that in the last days prophets would appear and the signs and wonders. And he said, look, well, if you, the apostles never fail one time. Every case that come to them, they were healed every time. And a scholar, now I'm going to make a remark like that. See? Supposed to be a scholar. Well, I said, don't you ever contact my little eight-year-old girl. She'll make you ashamed of yourself. I said, she knows more about the Bible than that. I said, how about when Luke, when he come down off the mountain and the boy had epilepsy, and they, he said, I brought him to your disciples, and they could not do him no good. They couldn't heal him. And I brought him to you. No, no man will ever reach the plane that Jesus stood on. He was God, incarnate God, made manifest here on earth and flesh to give us what God was. God was in his Son uh, reconciling the world to himself. No man will ever reach that plane. He's God's only begotten Son. All in him dwell the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Everything of God was in Christ. But you have the Spirit by motion, by, by potion. He had it without measure. you got a measure like a spoonful of water out of the ocean. It's a spoonful of the same chemicals but not enough much of it. How about Paul when he left his buddy sick, and Paul himself being buffeted by an infirmity, and all those, all many, many things. People just don't read the Bible in the light that it's wrote in, that's all. Just read what they think, and that's the way they get all these your ideas and denominations and everything. Well, he said, well, Jesus turned the water into wine, and he broke bread and, and fed the hungry multitudes. 
I said, wait a minute, brother. We're just in our infancy. We're rising. Don't worry. We get all these fanatics and unbelievers out of the way. We'll move on up into perfection after a while, and you'll see signs more. But we're just babies crawling. Just give us a little while yet. We're moving on up to even the medical science and everything has to recognize divine healing comes from God. Now, I've got the statements right here from the head of the medical association that divine healing is correctly, absolutely the perfect truth by the head of the American Association, medical association. Doctors and everything. I'm writing a commentary on divine healing, and it'll be on the front pages of the commentary. And now that has been all put down, and we know that that's the truth. Now the next thing, God will step in with higher miracles and greater things on greater planes. And as Jesus, when He was here on earth, the first coming of the Lord Jesus, it showed John the Baptist miraculous birth, then the miraculous of Jesus, then come in the healing of the sick and the discernment of the spirit, then on down into the raising of the dead, and from that on down to the earth and the heavens and everything declaring then the earth giving up its dead, miraculous, miraculous all the way along, see? Just keep deeper and deeper and deeper to the climax. So will it be now. And this is the ending of the last dispensation. The next is the great millennium that we've looked forward to, and the Hebrew writers is right since the very day the Bible began to be written and the prophets began to prophesy. Oh, we're living in a grand time. I'm so happy for it, aren't you? Now tonight, before, my opinion is this. That everything, I, I know that God can do things that's not written in this Bible. He's done it all through the ages. He does things that he has got written in his word. What if the people want to be real fundamental and tell Moses when he lifted up the brass serpent for divine healing? What do you say? Now let me go back through the writings and find out if it was ever predicted that they'd raise up a brass serpent. They couldn't find it, but God did it anyhow. You believe it? What if the man at the pool of Bethesda, where an angel came down and troubled the waters, what if some guy wanted to be so fundamental that he'd say, now wait a minute, let me look in the Holy Scriptures and find out if there'd ever be an angel come down on water and trouble the water. They couldn't have proved it by the Bible, but God did it anyhow. Is that right? What about when they laid in the shadow of Peter and was made well? That, that's a great deal of the writing of the New Testament. What if they had ever said, let me see if it's written in the Word that they'll lay in the shadows of a man and be healed? They couldn't have proved it, but God did it anyhow. Is that right? How about Acts 19, when Paul taken handkerchiefs off of his body and aprons and sent to the sick? What if somebody say, now that's not written in the Bible, but God did it anyhow. <laughs> that's right. So God works in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. But to me, the basic of all of it has to come first from the Scripture. God's eternal word, that's the basis of salvation, that's the basis of divine healing. Some man said to me, here some time ago said, do you preach divine healing on the basis of the atonement? I said, you couldn't preach it no other way. The only way it can be taught. Any redemptive blessing has to come from the atonement. He said, Brother Branham, I believe that you're a sensible man enough to admit if you're proven wrong. I said, I thank you for your compliment, and that's in my heart. I never want to be wrong, because if I'm wrong in leading people, I'm reading, leading them wrong. But first, it's got to be proven by this that I'm wrong, you see. He said, well, I'll prove it to you you're wrong, and I believe if you see it, you'll accept it. I said, certainly I would. And he said, do you take it over where Isaiah said about by stripes we're healed and so forth, and he bore our sickness and infirmity? I said, yes, sir. And he said, look, Brother Branham, Matthew, the eighth chapter, said that they brought to Jesus the sick and afflicted, and he healed them, that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by Isaiah the prophet. He said, I said, do you allow that to the atonement? He said, certainly. <laughs> I said, Brother, that was a year and six months before Jesus died. I said, how could it be allowed in the atonement then? If that be the truth, the atonement had more was, was more powerful before it ever come into effect than it is after it's in effect. Well, how are you going to do that? So, you see, 
uh, I tell you, I, the prophet's no place to joke, but I'm quoting Billy Sunday. Their argument against divine healing is thinner than the broth made out of a shadow of a chicken that starves to death. So you know how thin it would be. So it just it won't it won't hold in the light of God's word. And that's true. The Bible is true. Now listen, there's many promises in here that my faith is not strong enough to, to produce it, but I'll never stand in somebody else's way who has faith enough to do it. I may not never shout down a wall like Joshua. I may not ever take an evening walk like Enoch did and go home with him without dying. I may not be able to do that, but I'll never stand in somebody else's way that's got faith enough to do it. That's one thing. Yes, sir. As long as you're trying to do something to help people and glorify God coming from this Bible, I'm thanking God for the old-time Holy Spirit salvation and the power of God returning back to the church again. May the Lord add his blessings. You know, looking around and last night after feeling the people, I asked for people to come to the altar. I had four or five hands to go up, which is all right. We appreciate that. The healing service. Anybody want to be healed? About three or four hands went up. Which I think then the Lord just meant when they have a little time of fellowship in here. I told Brother Jackson not to advertise it much, just to save for his church and so forth. But one day I'd like to come back here for about a week or ten days, old time meeting right here, and get this little auditorium if we could, and get the churches around here to come together. We could a group of them to sponsor and cooperate or cooperate with the meeting and have. I think acoustics here are fine. The people has a very fine spirit. I don't have to say that. I go ahead and read my text and start preaching. But I, I just feel that. You're a fine bunch of people. And I, I would like to come back sometime with the, the crew of us and have a, a real, real campaign here if God would give it to us. Will you pray to that effect? Now I pray that God will let us come back. Now the Lord bless you as we look into the Word. Here some time ago someone tell me about Greek words and about all kinds of Hebrew words. I said, I, I don't know anything about them. He said, I said, I, I may not know the book too well, but I know the author real well. And that's the main thing. I said, I, I'd rather know the author than his book. So that's the, but it's good if you know the author, he'll reveal his book. Don't you think so? Talk to him. So we'll just read a verse out of his word and then ask him to help us. Now. For a text, as we'd call it, don't want to keep you long tonight because I know you go to Sunday school in the morning. I want you, H1, to go to your post of duty and wherever your church is, go to church and rejoice in the Lord and, and tell your pastor that the services tomorrow afternoon would be glad to come out. We're undenominational and we do not uh, <clears throat> believe in separating people. We believe in preaching the gospel and getting souls saved to serve the Lord. That's all. And then tomorrow afternoon being the closing service at 10, uh, 2.30. Now in the Bible, Hebrews, the 10th chapter, and beginning with the 19th verse, we read this scripture. Very outstanding. I like Hebrews. It was Paul, I believe. It's not thoroughly known, but you can read Paul's letters, his epistles and find out that this has got enough to you can tell that it's, it's, uh, it's Paul writing. No, I believe it is. He's separating law from grace and teaching the Hebrews the, the dispensation that's just been issued in by the Lord Jesus and his uh, works and so forth, how they typed in the old was made positive in the new. In the 19th verse we read this, Having therefore, brethren, Holiness to enter into the holiest of holies by the blood of Jesus. 
by new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. Having therefore a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. May the Lord add his blessings to his word. Uh, I'd like to take as a text tonight, as to say this, if you would call it a text, a subject, to say the interveil, or the hidden life, a hidden life. A few nights ago, I was called to an emergency call of a young lady dying at the Clark County Memorial Hospital and said she had been a member up at the, the tabernacle where I used to pastor years ago. And when I went into this young lady to talk to her, she's under an oxygen tent, I said, they tell me you used to come to tabernacle. She said, yes, Brother Branham, I did. I said, you realize you're dying? She said, I do, Brother Branham. She said, she is the mother of one child, she's 19 or 20 years old, and she had a four-month baby that, uh, as adults, could read between the lines and understand she'd taken uranic poison and all so many things, and there wasn't one thing the doctors could do but lay her back and wait for death. That's all. Nothing could be done for her in a medical science. And she was going out to meet God, just a child. And I said, Sister, do you remember on the cradle roll, you were baptized into the fellowship on the cradle roll. I said, what was the matter? She said, Brother Branham, I tell you, said, I still love the Lord Jesus, but said, I, I find it so hard to serve him. Now that is what I find around most Christian life. Most. I hate to say it that way, but it's true. The most people that can profess Christianity, they seem to have such a hard, struggling time to hold on. I believe it's because of lack of correct teaching. Uh, of the Bible. There's no such a thing as holding on. He done the holding on. The whole Christian principle is based upon rest. Come unto me, all you labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. You don't have to worry and struggle. You're just resting. That's all. Given rest, you enter in peace. As the whole thing's finished, them who he has Called, he has justified. Those who he has justified, he has already glorified. Scripture according. Notice, it's nothing that you do, or what you can do, it's what God has done for you in Christ. You could not come to someone and say, well, I tell you, I, I just quit this and I went to seeking God. No man never sought God. Man don't seek God. God seeks man. The very beginning of, at the Garden of Eden proved it. Adam ought to have been running through the garden hollering, Father, Father, where are you? But it was God going through the Garden of Eden saying, Adam, Adam, where are thou? Adam hiding. That's the nature of man. And Jesus said, uh, no man uh, can come to me except the Father draws him first. Nothing you can do about it. And Jesus didn't come to the Calvary to die for a haphazard purpose. He didn't come there and say, well, maybe I'll die. It'll be so pathetic that some people will see that I died and maybe they'll come and serve the Lord. Jesus come for a specific purpose, to redeem those who God by foreknowledge elected to come to him. 
That's correct. If you who scholars that know the Bible know that even the patriarchs um, made an example. Abraham is God's election. God called Abraham when he wasn't nothing, nobody, just an ordinary man, not because he was a good man, but because God's foreknowledge, he elected Abraham. Abraham's electing. Isaac, justification. Jacob, grace. Joseph, perfection. That ended it. Joseph was the perfect one, the uh, prince of prosperity. And now, I find that people so struggle. Seems like I meet people and say it's just such a struggle. Have you seen people that way? And probably there's many sitting right before me now that has the ups and downs, the ins and outs. This day they're all right. You meet them and well, they they love the Lord today and tomorrow. They they're having such a struggle to hold on. The devil's so tempting them and they're having such ups and downs. Then you meet somebody that's on the hilltop all the time. Brother, there's nothing bothers him at all. Now, there's bound to be something lacking somewhere. God's no respect to persons. Our God doesn't respect persons. He wants all of his children to have the same. He wouldn't, a righteous father wouldn't give one a dish of ice cream without giving them all ice cream. Certainly. He wants you to live. Now, I'm not talking about gifts. I'm talking about grace. Now, for some are called apostles and prophets and teachers and evangelists and church offices and so forth, that God has placed in the church these things. And But I'm talking about measures of grace, overcoming grace to each one. Then he elects you to your office. But then, but in grace, God has given to us all freely as we have need, everything that we have need of. And the trouble, I notice up in Michigan, you people up here can brag a lot because you have a lot of fruit. We get grapes from Michigan. We get cherries from Michigan, the big beans and all kinds, beautiful. I think there's not a place in the world grows them any better than Michigan. And now you have to understand what your fruit trees are. Did you ever know that that little cherry tree or little apple tree, when you set it out when it's no bigger than about one half inch tall, that every bushel of apples that you'll ever collect off that tree is in it right then? If it isn't, where does it come from? Who hangs it on there? It's already in it. The only thing that little tree does, you just set it out and water it. And he has to drink and drink until it gets so much it just goes to push it out. Drinks more than its lotted potion. And it swells out and it pushes out limbs. It pushes out uh, buds. Then it pushes out leaves and blossoms and then apples. Then it pushes again. It pushes again. Just keeps drinking, drinking, drinking until it just pushes out. And that's what the Christian does. When you're planted in Christ Jesus, everything that you have need of in earth's journey is in you when you receive the Holy Spirit. And the only thing you have to do is drink. Drink and push out. Push out. Just drink till you can't drink the more. If you have need of divine healing, go to God's Word and drink from it until you push out. If you need more of God, just keep drinking, pushing out. And Christ is the inexhaustible fountain of life. And if you're planted in him, the only thing you have to do is drink of his goodness and push out whatever you have need of in this earth's journey. It's all drinking, resting, peace. It's not what you struggle and strive and pull out. You, you defeat the very purpose that you're representing when you do that. Christianity is not something God's not one you have to beg and cry and plead and fast and starve and everything like that to get to. 
Certainly not. I'm not de degrading a fast. But here not long ago, a man wrote a book on fasting. My women come into the meeting and man who went all those fasts that were insane. They went just because the book said to fast forty days. Some of them would false plates and their teeth would drop out and uh, uh, their eyes would sink back. And mothers to be to women to be mothers, the, the little ones, as you understand, they would completely go mentally out and be taken to the institution. Many of many of them come in that condition. I believe in fasting, certainly, but when you fast, you don't hunger. Jesus, after he had got through fasting, the Bible said he was hungry. God puts a fast on you. You don't put it on yourself. He certainly captured the women. The man did it, wrote the book when he said, put a picture of a woman there, she looked twenty years younger, said after fast. You ought to see her then just about a year later what she looked like after that. See? Certainly. You don't do that. You don't do things by works, it's by grace. God in sovereign grace. Now, the trouble now to make this simple so that the the little children would understand. We'll go back in the Old Testament and pick up the Old Testament so that there might be Bible scholars that we could use greater uh, methods of it, but I always like to break anything down to where the people who doesn't even go to church, people that's not very scholarly in the Bible, or little children, that they might understand. Therefore, may I become a typologist. I like to give types so we can see. Now, a type of this message that we're speaking of tonight. The hidden life, we would take it from the Old Testament of the manna and the courts and the veil between the holiest and the holiest, and how that God worked in that. Now, if you'll notice, after Israel had overcome the Egyptians by passing through by grace through the Red Sea, and God drowned the Egyptians behind it, which was a type of passing through the blood of the Lord Jesus and all the taskmasters that once drove you to things of sins of the world. It's dead behind you. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins when sinners plunge beneath the flood lose all their guilty stains. Those old Egyptian taskmasters have drove the people to do things that they were burdened to do. After they looked back in this Red Sea, they found them, everyone drowned there. No wonder that Moses could sing a new song, sing in the Spirit. And Miriam picked up a tambourine and began to beat the tambourine and run down the bank dancing. If that ain't an old-fashioned Holy Ghost meeting, I've never seen one. That's right. And the daughters of Israel followed her, doing the same thing. They had overcome. And a man never knows what it is to live a victorious life until he's completely overcome who? Himself. That's the biggest enemy you got is yourself. That's the reason you can't rise up in faith, because you got intellectuals there. Your intellectual part says, well, this or that. It's a reasoning. We want to cast down reasonings, the Bible tells us. There's two parts of you, two faculties. You know the old hypocrite used to say, or many times people say, oh, the Bible said so-and-so. Science one time said, There's, when God said he made the firmament before he made the sun, he certainly got things mixed up. No light in the earth except by the sun. Well, x-ray disproved that. The Bible said your whole body's full of light meters. You know that? Your body's full of light. Science said, well, that's crazy. But they prove it. The x-ray don't use artificial light. It uses your light. The X-ray is the lights and thin light meters that's in your own body. You're not made up. Of, you're made up of petroleum and cosmic light and atoms and so forth. 
That's all you are. Just put together and you dwell in that, in that body of flesh. Someday we'll be bro- broken up here not long ago. I was combing what couple of hairs I have left. My wife said to me, he said, Billy, you're getting by already. I said, but praise God, I haven't lost one of them. She said, where are they at, honey? And I said, I want to ask you, and then I'll answer you. I said, where was they before I got them? You tell me where they was before they was here, I'll tell you where you are waiting for me when I get there. Hallelujah. That's right. Certainly. There was one time they wasn't. Then they were. Then they wasn't. And where they was at the beginning when God put the body here in a shadow, they'll be waiting for his second coming, glory. And he will appear the second time and every atom that holds me together, every bit of cosmic light will come together again, not in a sexual desire or a natural birth, but through a recreation. Oh, Almighty God will speak in the Spirit, will turn to the body and we'll live forever. Oh, my that. Ain't enough to settle their Christian's hearts to hang with joy. God has so ordained it so. He proved it in his first miracle, turning water to wine and so forth, showing he bypassed the vine. He just spoke from water to wine. It eventually would have been wine. He went up to the grapevine and the ferment and ferment in the vat and turned into wine. Sure, but God just spoke and bypassed all that. So will he in the resurrection. Of all the sexuals and marriage and things will all be done away with. And God will speak and we'll live again. Amen. The reason we live again because there's something within you that I have now. Here some time ago an old Methodist minister and I were sitting having a little ice cream together and the 4-H club come on the a radio broadcast and they were talking about a machine that they had perfected. There might be members of the 4-H club sitting here now. And then they said they'd perfected a machine that could turn out corn so perfect that you could get a handful out of the sack that was that the machine perfected, a handful out of the sack that was grown in the field, and they looked so perfectly, mixed them together, and put them in the laboratory. You couldn't tell them apart. Both of them would make the same kind of cornbread, cornflakes, ever the same amount of calcium, the same amount of moisture, everything in the ones in the other one, just perfect. And the only way that you'll ever be able to separate them and know which was which, bury them. And they're both rock. But the one that man made is done. But the one that God made got a germ of life in it and it lives again. I said, Brother, supposing you better hold my hand because I might embarrass you. I said, That makes the Spirit of God come to a believer. A man might live in church professing to be a Christian and everything. If he hasn't got the germ of life in him, he'll live at the resurrection. But that man who's got life born again will rise as sure as Jesus rose from the dead. Got to. Oh, this halfway starved to death life. What's the matter with the church today? It's in a anemia condition. It happened to be that way, but it's predicted for it to be that way. And it'll have to be. The lukewarm believers and so forth in the last days, cold church professors, the Holy Spirit spoke expressly in the latter days. Some will depart from the faith and give in heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And they'll be heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. How many of you to the picture show would fill this place three times. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Truth breakers, false accusers, and despisers of those that are good. Oh, you say that's communist. No, it's not. It's Christians, believers, having a form of godliness, going to church and putting their name on the book and everything, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such turn away, the Bible said. That's right. Said it would be in the last days. We've got to have it. 
Now, when Miriam and Moses and the Israelites had overcome, then God promised to supply everything they had need of in the journey. When God makes a promise, God will keep his promise. Moses, he didn't care what uh, Pharaoh had said, neither did his parents fear what the Pharaoh's orders was. Moses knew, and Abraham knew, the prophet of old. Abraham was, knew that God was able to keep that which he had promised. So he wasn't scared to say when he was 75 years old that Sarah was going to have a baby when she was 65. And when he was 190, he's still giving God praise, getting stronger all the time. Oh, if you was prayed for tonight and it wasn't healed in the morning, you'd go away and say, well, I told you wasn't nothing to it. That's the reason you don't get nowhere. See? But Abraham, I can see him after God giving the promise to Sarah at 65 years old, about 15 years past menopause, lived with her since she was a little girl, and here he was 75 years old before God ever called him. Well, he went and got all the bird-eyed pins and everything else ready. The baby was coming. God said so. First month passed. What about Sarah? No difference. But praise God, we're going to have it anyhow. Second month passed. How do you feel, Sarah? No difference. Praise God, we're having it anyhow. Well, God said so. I imagine the doctor said, you know, the old man's kind of a little bit slipped up here in the mind. There's something wrong with him. That man's 75 years old and Sarah's 65 and said they're going to have a baby. Something wrong. That didn't stagger Abraham. He kept saying, God can keep his promise. Keep everything ready, Sarah. It's going to be here. Ten years passed. What about it? Praise God, we're going to have it anyhow. Fifteen years passed. Twenty years. Twenty-five years. Still the same. Praise God, we're going to have it anyhow. And the Bible said instead of getting weaker, because it didn't happen the first time, he got stronger and stronger. Amen. And you are the children of Abraham. That is, if you have that kind of a spirit. It can take God at his promise. You can't, well, you're not the children of Abraham, because we have the same faith that faithful Abraham had. And he gave the promise of covenant unconditionally to Abraham and his seed, and you're Abraham's seed. If you're dead in Christ, you take on Abraham's seed and are heirs according to the promise. You see it? Amen. Now, notice, call yourself the seed of Abraham. <laughs> you need just a little dip closer to God. That's what it is. You need to die out to the old intellectuals. There's two things. One day uh, someone asked me, a great evangelist, I won't call his name, you'll know, went across the nation here, been going back and forth, a fine person, having great revival, but they just had the people say, I now accept Christ as my personal Savior, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The devils do the same thing and tremble. That's right. There's an intellectual faith. Let me talk to you just a minute. I don't know why the Holy Spirit won't let me get to my text. Maybe it's for a cause. Notice, there is an intellectual faith. And there is a faith that comes from the heart. The old unbeliever said years ago when the Bible said, As a man thinketh in his heart, so that's crazy. There's no mental faculties in the heart that you think with your mind. There's no mental faculties in the heart. But last year they found that's wrong. God was right. Right down in the heart, in the center of the heart, there's a little compartment where there's not even a blood cell in it. It's not in the animal heart, only in the human heart. And they say it's the occupation of the occupant of the soul. The soul lives in the heart. Then, after all, God was right when he said, as a man thinketh in his heart. Here some time ago, there was a woman who belonged to a very prominent denomination church, lived close, and I'll give you this little story. And um, she, uh, I, we always doubted her experience. She lived around church. She's a pianist. She 
play the piano, a very nice woman, but intellectual faith. See, she just reasoned that she was all right. There's an old boy that went to this church that really had an experience with God. They kind of got to be sweethearts, and he finally married her. They moved off, and she continued her job playing the piano, and after a while his job changed, and he had to go come out to another city. In this city, she became the pianist of this certain denomination, big, well-known denomination church. In this city, she became the prominent uh, uh, piano player. And while he was out there playing the piano as she was, she began to notice the neighbor girls that belonged to the same church. They all wore these little disgraceful clothes. Uh, get out and mow the yard with these little, I'm persuaded you women don't do that up here. They do it down below the line in Indiana. I don't think you do it in Michigan, see. I think you got too much self-respect. But and let your children wear such things. The Bible said it's an abomination in the sight of God to do so. And they, they get out and mow the yard. She thought, well, I can do that. You know, because why? The other girls do it. Now see, what was it? Her faith in God was intellectual. It was reasoning. Your mind will reason, but your heart don't reason. Your heart believes what God says the truth. Your mind says, well, now, if the other girls can do it, or the other boys can do it, and they go to church, ain't I as good as they are? Can I do the same things they do? Because she reasons. But we got to cast down reasons till it's contrary, if it's contrary to God's Word. Well, she went ahead and he kept on that, and after a while, the rest of them all smoked cigarettes, so why couldn't she? Well, the rest of them went to church. Of course, I know you Michigan women don't do that. I don't believe you would. But she did it. Smoked cigarettes. The littlest thing that women ever done. That's right. And the most sabotaging thing she ever done. Eighteen percent. I mean, their babies before 18 months old, 90 percent of them die. If they're raised on the breast, they have to be given artificial to cattle and so forth. That's right. Nicotine poisoning. What are we going to have in the next generation? Don't fear about Russia coming over here and doing something. It's not the rabbit that pecks on the apple that hurts it, it's the worm at the core. Our own rottenness is what's killing this nation. It's all moral. There ain't other countries that we're killing ourselves through our immoral living and things and calling ourselves Christians. Warn to us! That's right. You better listen to the gospel and listen to Jesus Christ and get your heart right with God. Notice. And then this woman, after that there was a little slicker moved in the neighborhood, but his hair slicked down and and so she kind of thought he was a cute little fella. And you know, it'd become a little innocent every night before they'd go to bed. She'd slip out to take the things out in the backyard, and he would kiss her a good night across the fence. Oh, it was very innocent, of course. Sin's very innocent looking to start with. Oh, there was nothing to it, just a neighbor. And the first thing you know, she left John, her husband, and married this guy. And he had a wife and baby, broke up a home. Well, she reasoned that if there was other women in the church who had the second husband, why couldn't she? That's reasoning, but the word says it's wrong. And the very soul that was telling it was wrong, she was grieving it away, and the Bible said the soul that sinneth shall die. And what is sin? Unbelief. There's only two things, that's faith and unbelief. I was preaching in a famous church here not long ago, and I said, smoking cigarettes is no sin. Committing adultery is no sin. Telling lies is no sin. The lady looked at me and spoke around and said, What is sin? I said, Unbelief. I said, Smoking cigarettes and drinking and crowds and running around is the very symptoms. It's the attributes of your unbelief. I said, You do that because you don't believe Jesus. Jesus said, He that heareth my words and believeth on him and send me past everlasting life. When you say you're a believer and do that, it shows there's something wrong. You don't believe. You're making out like you believe. 
You're taking reasonings and not taking your soul's conviction because your soul is a part of God that's in you that will agree with God's word being true. Not till you take your intellectual. You think. She went on. Of course, does that little sticker he don't short have brains enough to know if he would run away from one mouth, he would do another one. So that's what he done. Then she becomes so degraded, still going to church, still playing the piano, until she began to live with a common-law husband. But sin caught up with her. Don't you think it won't catch up with you? It will. Sins will find you out. And after a while, she began to have pains down the lower part of her. And she let it go for a while. When she went to a doctor, come to find out it was malignancy advanced. Nothing could be done but die. Happens to be a pastor of our own church. Very spiritual man, out of Asbury College. Now, of course, you'll know she was a Methodist. All right. But he's a church of fine boys, received the Holy Spirit, a very fine man. And he goes to talk to this woman, because he was then a raised a Methodist, and he thought he ought to talk to her. He was sent there by friends, and she let him know that she was just as well off as anybody. And she believed it. Intellectually reasoning, why well, I belong to church. My letters in the church, I'm just as good as anybody. Said, I'm as good as you are. He said, that's not the question, lady. Said, I'm a minister. And are you sitting there smoking them cigarettes and things like that? We don't believe in such as that. She said, that's none of your business. I never sent for you. He said, yes, but I felt that God sent for me to come. She said, said, what about this common-law husband? She said, that's none of your business. I'm just as well off as the rest of you. I'm a Christian. And she believed it. You can believe a lie and be damned by it, too. The Bible. It's right. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof is the ways of death. Might seem all right intellectually. Your soul will always testify to the Word of God if it's bound again. If you've got an intellectual faith, oh, he'll agree, sure. Say, that Bible's right. The devil says the same thing. The devil says there's a God in heaven, there's a Jesus Christ. Certainly they believe the same thing. Oh, you say the devil believes in Jesus Christ? Certainly. They publicly confessed him, said, Thou art the Son of God, thou art the Christ, the Holy One. Why do you come to torment us before our time comes? Certainly they publicly confessed him to be the Son of God. And ministers with a shallow experience and with a bullish religion go out and have people to make such a dry confession as that and go back out in the world and live like the world and claim that they're Christians. Brother, as it was in that case, so is in any high pole needle stops of deathbed confession. Oh, she thought she was right. But when it come the time to die, even a backslidden pastor had got around. She was all right, sure. She was a good member of the church, and she paid into the church, and she was a pianist in the church, and what more? What more could she do? Intellectually, she was thinking she was right. But when it comes to a place, you remember, your mind is, con- is governed by the blood cells and by your brain cells. And then when that blood ceases to function through those brain cells, then the mind begins, the intellectual part begins to die out of the woman. And when it begins to die out, and she begins to see when that, this quote, spirit down here in her heart, which is her soul, that she'll die, death means separate. And if you sin, disbelieve willfully, as the gospel's been presented to you, that full nature of yours will gradually move away from you, and you'll feel it no more. Just to go away. You won't know it. You say, well, I know it. I believe I'm right. That's what's the matter with Michigan tonight. That's what's the matter with Indiana tonight. That's what's the matter with the world tonight. They have been smothered to sleep with petty 
Hollywood impersonation of Christianity. What we need today is the old-fashioned hard-hard brimstone preachers back in the pulpit again to preach the truth. Right? A hell for sinners. Except the man be born again, he will in no wise enter the kingdom. You believe the ministry that the Lord Jesus has committed. So blind, deaf, dumb, even dead, raised from the grave. Remember, we'd have to have some conception of God or those things wouldn't happen. That's a showdown is divine healing, which is right and which is wrong. The Bible said so. Proved it in Jambers and Jambers. Magicians could pray miracles and do things, but they couldn't heal. God's the only one that can heal. I'm the Lord who heals all your diseases. Today people say, oh, that was in the day past. There's nothing to it. A bunch of holy rollers, a bunch of uh, imposters and so forth. And you don't realize that you're blasting in the Holy Ghost. Right, and the first thing you know, your soul will go away from you. You'll become so culturized out there with the rest of the cults and things till you'll take your right until death stares in the face and there'll be a different picture. I stood by the many beds of them. There she was laying there, thinking she was right. Fifteen minutes before she died, smoked a cigarette. Said there's all right. Little old dirty habit of the flesh. But let me tell you something, brother. The tree's known by the fruit it bears. She didn't believe in anything so if the doctor can't help me, what's the use of some holy roller preacher coming to do anything for me? Oh, God have mercy! That's the attitude of thousands to this country tonight. Yes, millions. Times millions. There she in that state. But when the intellectuals begin to fail, when her reasoning failed, her intellectual faith that she had in God which was in her head, then that soul that she had grieved away began to come up close to her. She said, my God, I'm lost! I'm lost! And her pastor said, oh, she, she said, you're a deceiver! I'm lost! She said, doctor, doctor, come here! She, she's excited. She, she's hysterical. He put a hypo in her arm. And he shot a hypo and she said, I'm lost! I'm lost! Another hypo! And the hypo stopped her lips! But it'll never stop that soul you'll live with throughout eternity that she had grieved away to disbelieve the Word of God and intellectual mind to her reasoning that made her believe in her Sarah had that she was all right when she was wrong. That's the way with millions in the world today who profess Christianity. They don't go the first step towards God. <laughs> I'm not trying to scare you. I'm only preaching to you the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know it by You know it. The scripture says so. Jesus said, except the man be born of the water and spirit, he will immortalize into the kingdom. No matter what church he belongs to, how good he's lived, or what profession he's had, he's got to be born again. That intellectual's got to be cast down in the new creature in Christ Jesus, the new soul in the heart has got to take root, and it'll believe every time the Word of God and call it the truth. Your pastor sometimes tell you the days of miracles is past. There's no such a thing as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He himself is dead. Right? Didn't the Bible say that they transformed themselves into angels of light? That's what Eve was looking for when she was lost and deceived by Satan. They say they have a form of godliness, but would deny the power of the from such turn away. That's the gospel in its plain simplicity. But it's the gospel, the power of Jesus. If God being living in you, the hope of glory forming your heart, it'll agree every time with the Word of God. Of course, that devil, very religious. As he spoke to Jesus, said, If thou be the Son of God, perform a miracle here before me, let me see it in my own eyes. Jesus said, It's written, and man shall not live by bread alone. When he was hanging on the cross, said, If thou be the Son of God, what? The same Spirit speaking to cultured ministers. 
spiritually, who was denying him, the church of hung to the cross, the church persecuted him, the church killed him. The intellectual ministers who stood along the letters, right, they killed him, they hung him to the cross. The religious people of the day killed Jesus. That's what's a killing the church today, is the religious people of the country through their cults. Not what you call cults. Many times we have got a bunch of cults, bloodless and heartless and everything. Sure, that's right. But some of your great intellectual psychology teachers in the church and things like that, it goes right to, well, if you just believe, that's all there is to it. And put your name on the book and live. Oh, man, what's the matter with you? If you're a child of God, your spirit will say God's word's right, and you'll live that kind of life to back it up. And Jesus said, these signs shall follow them that believe. Right. In my name they shall cast out devils and so forth and heal the sick and do things. Today you say there's done days of miracles is past. Look where you're living. There you are. Don't take an intellectual. Take an experience with God. When your experience agrees with this Bible and says every word's true, you're Jehovah. And my spirit bearing record with his spirit, we're sons and daughters of God, and we pass in death into life. True. Notice now. Then people, they just, they was given manna to eat. That manna was sustaining food as long as they were in their journey until they entered the three stages of the journey, Israel and Egypt. Simple. Israel in here justified through the blood, the Red Sea. And Israel settled down over in Palestine. The three stages of the journey represented here today, just the same, and we're in entering the last stage of the journey. God promised to supply everything physically they had need of, the meat to go through there, and manna began to fall from heaven, which was a type of the Holy Spirit. And when that manna fell, the people went out and eat this manna, ground it up, made little cakes out of it, and, and eat it. And it was honey, tasted good, like honey, little wafers on the ground, like snow, and they ground it up and made bread out of it. And it sustained them all through the wilderness journey. A very beautiful type of the Holy Ghost that fell on the day of Pentecost, which is our bread. The manna fell just the same on the last day of their journey as it did on the first day of their journey. And it fell all through the journey. And so I'd like to see the man show me that God ever gives, taking the Holy Spirit out of the church. I can show you where he gave it and where he promised it would be with us to the end of the world. Show me where he ever took it away. Not to be taken away. And it won't be until Jesus comes. It's true. The man follows the same Holy Ghost that was Pentecost falls just the same today. We know we got a lot of impersonation, a lot of fanatics, but that don't mean a thing, but prove that there is a real Holy Spirit. We have a lot of impersonations in church that act like Christians and try to impersonate Christians, but that don't mean nothing. That means that there is a real genuine Christian. It's only a looking glass. Notice, as the Holy Spirit fell, notice as the banner fell first. God told Moses to go get some golden omers and take them forth into the holiest of holies. Back there was to be kept up to you every generation to come in. They could cut, paste this manna of the original manna that fell, beautiful type of the Holy Ghost. When it fell on the day of Pentecost, the people were all rejoicing and so happy. Peter said on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, he said, For the promise is unto you and to your children, to them as far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. The same Holy Spirit that fell was for every generation, even to the Gentiles, those that were always considered far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Peter said, Repent, every one of you, be baptized, 
in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promises unto you and to your children and to the Gentiles as far as even as many as the Lord our God shall call, and as long as God's still calling, God's still giving the Holy Spirit. They kept the homers full of it. That every man entered into the holy place, every priest could taste the mouthful of the original man that fell in the beginning. And so is it today. The middle wall of petition is taken down, and every vanished call can come in and have a heart full of the same Holy Ghost that fell on the day of Pentecost. It'll be to the end of the world. Notice the first thing taking place. There was an ark in this holy place. Watch the walls now for you little children so you can get it. There was an outer court. There was a holy place. And then a holy of holies. Three steps. It's always God is perfected in three. Completed in seven. Worshipped in twelve. Tempted in forty. And jubilee in fifty. All, watch those numbers and you'll never get it mixed up. See, God perfected, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, justification, sanctification, baptism, the Holy Ghost. All these things perfected. How did he did it? Notice, and in the, in the tabernacle, you, God lived in them three rooms. You live in three rooms. Oh, you say, Brother Branham, I've got ten rooms in my house, but you're still only living in three. That's right. That's the kitchen, dining room, uh, the, the kitchen and the living room and the bedroom. You may have three bedrooms. You may have a sub-kitchen called a dining room, but it's still only three rooms in your house. You're living in a house, soul, body, and spirit. That's the way God lived in Jesus Christ, both soul, body, and spirit, not me that doeth the works the Father dwelleth in me. You see? And in this tabernacle, completion. And it was also through the age of Luther, through justification, through the age of Wesley, through sanctification, and in this latter day with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Perfecting his church, the three stages of the journey, all around everything, three. Notice, and then God taking his church in this great tabernacle. Now those, the manna fell outside in the court. And remember, the people eat this manna. But God told them to take up this manna and put it, a bunch of it back in the holy place. In there was the ark. The ark is a type of the human heart. The ark, the place, the hidden place. God prophesied to the prophet and said, I will write my laws in their hearts. Will I put them in the tables of their hearts, showing that that would be the dwelling place of God in the human heart, not the human head, but the human heart. Amen. I will write them in my heart, in their heart, and they will keep my statues and so forth, saith the Lord. God said in their place over in Ezekiel, he said, I will in that day take out your old fleshly stony heart, and I'll give you a new spirit, and I'll put a, my spirit in you. Now, a lot of people, even you Pentecostal people, a lot of times get mistaken in that. You get a new spirit. That's not God's spirit. That's you. That isn't God. You get a little happy because you've got a new spirit. You jump up and down, run around, hold the floor, maybe in shout a little bit and speak with tongues and run around a little bit and think you got the Holy Ghost. That's not it. That's the new spirit. God gave you, that's you. Then after he gave you your spirit, then he said, I'll put my spirit. That's what's the matter with the Miss Neil Cranks you got today. That's right. That's the reason you can't get nowhere with God. Notice, you've put a new spirit. God has to give you a new spirit or you couldn't even get along with him. 
You can't get along with yourself, that old devil spirit you had in you. So he's got to put a new spirit in you so you can get along with his spirit. Amen. I will put a new spirit in them, and I will put my spirit in them, he said. I'll just give you a new spirit. That's you. Don't get confused with God's spirit. It's not. It's your new spirit. So you can get along with the Holy Spirit if he ever gives it to you. Amen. Because you and your condition never get along. You can't get along with your wife. You can't get along with your husband. You can't get along with your neighbor. How are you ever going to get along with God? So he has to give you a new spirit before you can get along with him. So he puts a new spirit in you. And then he puts his spirit in you. Gives you a new spirit, a new outlook, a new faith. Then he puts his Holy Spirit in you. Notice, back there in the beginning, when that same matter of fell out here on the ground, every day the people eat it. But notice, those people who eat that manna would get hungry before nine o'clock. I've seen a lot of camp meetings. And people would go and they'd shout the victory for a little while while the camp meeting was going on. And then before the day was over, the night coming close, they'll worry along and say, well, you know, I wish I could keep the victory. Hallelujah. Oh, my. My! I wish I just had the victory. I tell you, this, this, uh, this is so-and-so and this is so-and-so. Oh, my. It's because you're not in the right place to eat the manna. That's right. Notice, you meet some people that say, well, this year they're just fine and dandy. And uh, Dr. Church, if you own this people, wrote a book and called my name in it. A man, a sensible man like that, called a man's name and said the very next verse, he said, I'd never even met the man. I don't know him. He said, I know there's nothing to him because I'll tell you why. He said, I met a man one time at been in his meetings, and he said, Brother Graham didn't know me. And he called her up in a balcony or somewhere and said, Sir, you have prostrate trouble sitting there and told him who he was and where he come from. And he said, every bit of it was the truth. And said, he told me, you are healed. And Dr. Church said to him, said, was you healed? said, yes, sir, for a year I wasn't bothered with it at all. And said, you know what? said, the thing come back on me. Mr. Church said, that proves. That he's false. Said, if God heals, they stay healed. I'd like to see how many of those Nazarenes that got sanctified one year, the next year's back for sanctification again. <laughs> I thought he cared, but I thought you couldn't back. Oh, breath! Some man so narrow-minded you put a pencil between your eyes and blind him. Strike! Strike! So narrow-minded. Sure! Salvation is last as long as faith lasts. And divine healing lasts as long as faith lasts. You just got the experience 40 years ago. Forget you ever had the experience. Go out of here tonight and I don't even believe in it. Now, I'm not God's servant no more. Watch how long your experience lasts. Certainly. When the unclean spirit's gone out of man, he walks in dry places, he comes back with seven other spirits worse than he was. He enters in before us. There's a good man of the house ain't there to keep him out. You don't go by your feelings. I never was saved by my feelings. I wasn't saved because I felt good. I'm saved because I met God's promise. Right. The devil can beat you around the stump on ceilings, but he can't speak on dust, saith the Lord, and condemn it. I've done what Jesus said. I'm saved tonight because I met God's requirements. I'm healed tonight when male brothers turned me down for a few days more. I'm living about six or seven years ago. I'm healthy and strong tonight because I believe. God said so, and I took him at his word. Oh, it's your faith in God. The only thing you'll stagger. That's the only thing you'll ever heal a sick person is their personal faith in God. Not what some man can do for you, it's what the man Christ Jesus has already done for you. And you accept it and don't refuse to see symptoms or anything else. And walk by faith, the just shall live by it. 
Say, I feel religious. <laughs> I really do. I feel like I could shout. And when a Baptist goes to shout, it's really something, isn't it? Oh, my. It's wonderful to serve the Lord. And that's thus saith the Lord. Takes all the scarecrows out and the spooks out and puts the Holy Spirit in there and lives with you with a dove of meekness and quietness and eternal hope in your heart. Takes all the guests out and all the hocus pocus out and all the formalism out of your heart and puts a real no show in there and a faith that's everlasting true. Amen. That's true. Quickly now. You're a fine audience. I can preach to you all night, but you don't want to hear me all that time. But listen. I want to show you or speak something to you. Now, those people that eat the manna in here, out here in the course, was just the same kind of manna that was on the inside of the veil. Same kind of manna. And the man and woman who lives out here are eating. That's where you get confused. Maybe tomorrow I'll preach on you the difference between the baptism of the Holy Ghost and the calling of a son. See? Notice this. How God sets in the church and what he does. You're eating the same manna. Here was one wall of justification. No man can come to Christ that the Holy Spirit calls him. The Holy Spirit is God, and you know it. No man can. It's the same Holy Ghost. And these people out here in the justified state, their fellow trying to serve God out here in the courts, was eating the same kind of manna they was on the inside of the holiest of holies. But the thing of it was, it ran out. It got, it got contaminated. It got, as old saying, his wiggle tails in it. That's what some other lot of people experience tonight. It's got wiggle tails in it. Rotten. Maggots. It's because that you permitted it. There you are living out here eating the manna. Now the man could eat here. He was, he was, he's all right. But he got hungry real quick. That's where the people said, I just can't holy horse. You're not far enough in yet. You'll come to a holy place. What's Aaron, the high priest, when once the year anointed, went in behind the curtains. And when them curtains dropped behind him, the world was shut off. That's what's the matter with people today. They don't want to get shut off from the world. You'll be in contact with who's going to be the next uh, uh, most popular girl in California, in Hollywood. Some of them married six and seven times. You make that an example. You'll turn on your television at night to see Mary, Susie, or what these plays are to come on and stay home from the prayer meeting. And then wondering why you can't have it on. You're not dead enough. Amen. You can't be too living here one time. You've got to be dead to the world and alive and dead. And you're alive in the world and dead to God. Take and serve two masters at once. I know that's hard preaching, brother, sister, but that's what the Bible speaks. And you've got the world creeped in and intellectual faith has accepted such a thing as that and know more about God than a rabbit knows about snowshoes. You know that's the truth. I don't say that for a joke. No, sir. But it's the truth. Right. Because you love the world, the Bible said, He that loves the world things of the world, the love of God's not even in him. Right. But oh, you say, I belong to church, I'm as good as the next, or oh, that woman thought the same thing. I don't hear of thousands of others, millions of others. But wait, I've seen the wicked empire spread forth like a green green, the green bay tree. But God said, watch him at the end. That's where it tells. That's where it comes. And you better watch for that bed coming where you're going to press a dying pillow one of these days. When a doctor walks away in the Veins is coming, cooling up your arms, your intellectual souls are breaking, and all this nonsense that you went on with and re- rejected the Holy Spirit, your soul will come up and recognize that's the truth, and you'll be lost. Your own conscience will haunt you through eternity. When you're having a form of godliness and denying God's word, saying he once was God, but he's gone away, and he did back under, but he can't today. Don't you do that. 
Notice, when Aaron went in there in his holy place, in the holy of holies, the man who lived in there lived in perfection all the time. The manna was fresh. It didn't dry up, neither did you get contaminated. And if you ever get to a place where you can be so hid away in God until the outside world is dead and the veil drops over you, you see what I mean? When the veil shades you from the outside world, was you ever so lost in Christ, so prayed through, until the world you had no more to do with it at all, you walked humbly every day before Christ, loving Him first. That's what you need. Them on the inside eat manna. It was good at 9 o'clock, it was good at 12 o'clock, it was good year in and out, it was good forever. Hundreds of years and spaces of time rolled on, and the manna never did get contaminated. It was good and sweet and fresh all the time. The man that lives in there has always got the victory. He's in the presence of God. He's always got victory. Nine o'clock doesn't matter to him. Where the church goes wrong, that doesn't matter to him. He's still anchored in Christ. The outside world, all the things of the world is dead to him, and he's hid away in God. His heart has become God's throne. God gave him a new spirit and taken him in the veil. And when he did, he feeds them manna daily, right out of the golden omers that sets in the holiest of holies. Not only that, but Aaron took his rod in there and left it one time. And left it 24 hours. You know what happened to that rod? It come to life. It blossomed, bloomed, and yielded almonds. And 24 hours. There's a many a man in Sturgis tonight. That's the same way. That old olive stick was an olive stick off of an olive tree. That's right. There's a many a man and woman sitting in these big churches around here. That's maybe a stick off of the tree. They intend to be Christian. They can't see the supernatural. They've never had it to them. They don't know what it means to be born again. They don't know. They've seen a lot of phony stuff, maybe a lot of bogus stuff, a lot of makeup stuff, and blinded them from them. But that don't take away from the real. Hear my word. It only makes the real more real. What happened? If you accepted Christ sincerely and you believe it, then brothers come into the Holy Spirit and they yield the fruits of the Spirit. In 24 hours, a stick that was dead lived, blossomed, yielded blossoms and almonds in 24 hours. Let a man or a woman that don't believe in the supernatural, let a man and a woman that can't believe in the days of miracles, let them hide behind the holiest of holies and the veil of God's Son's blood drop between them and the world. And less than 24 hours, they'll breathe every word of God's word is true. Amen. The reason you don't go in behind the veil. You say, well, I'm a Christian, I, I'm, I'm taken of God's goodness. Yes, but you're in the outer courts. Come in and hide away. I'm not yelling at you. I'm only trying to let you see what's true. Then visions will be nothing for you. Then the presence of God, you'll walk sweetly with the Lamb of God every day. You're living in the presence of the King. Every day, every hour. Let the neighbors say what they want to. Let your church say that you, you've lost your mind. That won't bother you a speck. You just live right on in the presence of the King. Because the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. The intellectual faith that you have is foolishness to God. And so is the, the power of God foolish to the world. But it pleased God through the foolishness of preaching to save them which is lost. Understand, friends, you're living in a devil's world. This is not God's world. 
The devil said it was his. The devil took Jesus up and said, see all the kingdoms, the United States and all. So them are mine. I can do them what I want to. And I'll give them to you if you worship me. Jesus knew that he had fallen heir to him someday in the millennium. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. It's written, thou shalt the word. See that Holy Spirit agreeing with the word? It's written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Hey, man, he knows he didn't meet Moses there. Certainly. Jesus knows the Bible said, Rejoice all you heavens, you holy prophets, you earth. For the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he'll reign forever. The book of Revelation. Jesus knows he's coming heir to all of them. But this is the devil's world. That's really got fighting and war and troubles, atomic bombs and murders and rapes and everything because it's a devil's world and controlled by the devil. But you're not of this world. You're in the kingdom of God. I don't blame the sinner from sinning. If a sinner goes down and drinks beer and smokes cigars and goes to picture shows and things like that and acts like the world, I don't blame him. That's the only pleasure he's got now. It's the only pleasure he's ever going to have. That's right. I don't blame a pig for sticking his nose in a manure pile and eating manure. Certainly not. He's a pig. Let him alone. But you people who call yourself Christians and then do those things, you're the guy I'm after. You get to change your heart, you get to change your diet. That's right. You don't want the things of the world no more. Certainly I come into the glory of God. As Aaron walked in there, and that veil dropped behind him, brother, the world knew nothing about it anymore. He was shut off from the world. And a man that ever fully surrenders his heart and life, man, woman, boy, or girl, who dares to take God at his word and said, God, sanely I come to you and give me the new birth in my heart, Lord. Stand under the bloody cross and believe it with all your heart. Something will come to you, brother, that God will shut you away and the world will become dead and all the things that... What I'm saying to the world will be dead. Amen. You have to hide away. I like to hunt, as I've told you many times. Up in the Colorado, me and my friend sitting back there, Brother Woods, sometimes when we get so tired we can't stand it, we slip away in the fall of the year to hunt. Not so much to kill the animal, no. No, sir, what is it? It's to get along with God. I was hunting elk, I was way up high. And the fall rains hadn't run them down yet in the snow. One day come a big rain, it'll rain a while, snow a while, and the sunshine. And it come up a storm, and I was way high. The man was with me. I hadn't seen him for a couple of days. About 70 miles from civilization. You couldn't hear a train blowing or nothing. Alone. Oh, what a place to be. I was walking through there, and the storms was blowing. I got down in behind a tree and waited there until the storm was over. The treetops were falling. And when the storm went through, after it was over, the cold rain, while ice was all over the trees, the sun come out in the crevices in the west, and the sun shined through like this and formed a rainbow across that place. Oh, when I looked at that, way back over here, I heard the old elk herd begin to bugle one to another that had been lost up in the storm. Way back up on the hill, the old gray wolf got to howling, his mate answering him down in the valley. My mother's almost a half Indian. And oh, that's when the deep began to call to the deep in my heart. I said, oh, God, here's where I belong. This is the place. Let me alone in the mountains. This is my home. The gripper rifle to walk through the woods and to hear the wildlife. There's something about it. It's a nature that I love. That's home to me. I was raised there on it. And I love it with all my heart. To be alone. I see God there. After a while I heard something. The little old pine squirrel. I don't know where you have not hear now. A little old fellow, the noise is saying in the woods. 
and he jumped up on an old stump. There's a little blow down where a bunch of trees and a farmer's storm had blowed the treetops together. And little old pine squirrel jumped up on there again. Chatter, 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 chatter. I could go tear somebody to pieces. I look over and I said, now you're making a lot of noise for nothing. Nobody's scared of you. So about that time, I watched what he was looking at. There'd been a big old eagle forced down. One of the big old brown eagles we had there in the west. And he'd been forced down under this, the winds have brought him in there. And that's what the squirrel was barking at. He jumped up on there, and I'd just been weeping. I looked over and seen that rainbow, and I said, Oh, God, listen to my heart. Pound! When I hear that wolf hollering out there, it's something about it I love. That's a little bit of the rainbow! God, it's your covenant. Right, you'll never destroy the world with water, but it'll be fine next time. Well, I could see Jesus standing in Mac Revelations 1, where he look up on the Jasper and Sardis stone, Alpha Omega, the beginning and the end, and Reuben. And, and the younger and older, and all the rainbow around him, the covenant of his blood, that he would protect and keep that which God had committed to him. I could see him there, my heart pounding. They thought they had the Salvation Army up there. I set my gun down the side of the tree. I run around and around the tree, screaming top of my voice to give vent to my feelings. Oh, just as loud as I could scream. I didn't care who heard me. Wasn't nobody hear me anyhow. I, I was just praising God. They'd see me up there. They just said, thought I'd been out of the insane institution. I didn't care what they thought. Who thought it? How my soul was bubbling for the glory of God. I felt like David did when he seen the ark coming and began to dance before the Lord. There's a little backslidden guy sat there. I said, you embarrassed me. I said, you allowed to go like that? Watch this. And down he went and around and around and around he went again. His wife thought he was crazy like the world does today. But God said, David, you're a man as your own heart. Care what the world says, what God thinks. Quickly. I watched a little while and watched that pine squirrel chatter to the eagle. I thought, God, why'd you interrupt this great program that I'm listening to you here watching you? After all, I noticed that eagle. Why aren't you scared? I said, I could grab my rifle and shoot you. Those great big velvet eyes look at me. He wasn't scared of me. He watched that squirrel and watched me. Watch the squirrel and watched me. And I thought, why are you, what, what you said I saw is you're brave. That's what it is. That's what God wants me to see. You can see God anywhere if you just look for him. Get him in here and you can see him. Get him in here. You won't reason out, well, I wonder what's this thing. In your God will declare himself. So he looked, and I watched that old eagle watching me. And I thought, I said, no reason, no wonder, he's, a, he's not afraid. That's the trouble with Christians today. You're afraid to testify at your work. You're afraid to tell the man is cursing, taking God's name in vain about Jesus Christ. You're afraid to stand up and say, God, heal me by his power. God don't want cowards. Take the wishbone out and put a backbone in you. Buddy Robinson said, Lord, give me the backbone like a stall on. Let me fight the devil as long as I've got a tooth in my mouth and gum until I die. That's right. That's what we need. Plenty of knowledge and a gable into my soul. That's what you need. Notice this old eagle as well. I watched why he wasn't afraid. He had two wings. God gave him two wings. And he knew good and well that he could be in them cedars there or them pines before I could ever get my hand on that rifle. He trusted God-giving escape for him. And if an eagle could trust his wings to safety, how much more ought a Christian to touch, trust the baptism of the Holy Ghost to take care of him? As he moved his big wings, he looked at me, he wasn't a bit scared. As long as them wings was an operation, he wasn't afraid. If you're sick tonight, take God at his promise. Heal the Holy Spirit there, give you the promise. Your great wings of faith that can fly away with you. That's why he got enough that little chatter, chatter, that little pine squirrel. He made one big jump. Flopped his wings about twice. He never flopped from place to place, from place to place, from place to place. He knowed how to set his wings. He set his wings, and a rare wind come in, and he just lifted up. 
Another roar come, he never popped his wings, he just lifted up on, on, on until he become a speck. Leaving that little earthbound chipmunk sitting there, a pine squirrel going, chatter, 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 chatter. I thought, that's true, God. Or if Christians only know how to set their wings of faith and God's power that weighs over them. How that is the glory of the Holy Spirit comes into the camp of the believers. If they only know how to set their wings in God's faith and unmovable and ride the glories of God out and leave this little earth down, chatter, chatter, chatter. It says the days of miracles is past and no such a thing as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You're fly from it. What you need. Yes, sir. In closing, I say another thing. That in this place where you dwell on the inside, the secret place with God, there's a difference in there. Look, there were three lights that led man. There were three lights that lead man today. The first thing, there were three stages of the manna. There were three stages of everything. There were three stages of your experience. And notice quickly now, while we're closing quickly, watch. Now, on the outside, the man who lived out here in the courts that never even went to the first altar, he lived by the light of the sun, by the light of the moon, the stars, the firmament. Some days it was rainy. Some days the sun would shine for days. A very typical experience of the carnal nature of man before he's been born again. Then the next man come into the first court, there were seven golden candlesticks there. That was a good light. But many times the candlesticks went out, the lamp smoked up, he lived by artificial light. Some days he was up and some days he was down. That's the way with the Christian experience. If you're only living in a justified state, going to church and saying, well, I'll do the best I can, you're going to have the rainy days, you're going to have days you wonder where you are, Christian. You're going to have days where you're going to wonder whether miracles are right or not. There's going to be days where you wonder whether you're in the right church or not. All those kind of scruples and things are going to pass through your mind. If you walk into a little fellowship with the church, again with that, again there's the seven golden candlesticks where the offering was only made and the sacrifice burned. You'll still have smoky days and rainy days, cloudy days, days when the lights was out, days when the lamp smoked up the experience. You've seen Miss Jones over there who was supposed to be a Christian do something that wasn't right. You say, oh, I wonder if there's anything to it. See, you still got your eyes on Miss Jones. See, you're still walking with artificial light. But the man who walked in behind that holy said, hey, it didn't matter whether the sun shined or not. It didn't matter where the candles burned out. He lived in the light of the Shekinah glory, where the pillar of fire broke under the little rock wings of the children. And all the time he was walking in the perfect light and fellowship, he didn't look to the outside to the rainy days. There was never a rainy day, never a doubt. Never a time that he was hungry for God, because in him was stored up the manna of God, the word built up into a righteous foundation. He had not to worry no more. Surely not. He was inside. The world was on the outside. That's what the church needs today, is an experience that will take them into, under the Shekinah glory, where all the curtains will fall and hide the man from the things of the world, till you'll live in the presence of God, under his great power, under the inner rock. Wings of the Holy Ghost, and in the cross you'll stand in the cross. Don't become a burden anymore. Except wings and flies away. When you think of the burdens every day, the sun is shining. Oh, I love it. I've crossed the ribbon veil. Oh, glory to the God. I'm on this altar sanctified. Glory be to God. You've heard the old song. That's where a man lives in the presence of the King. Oh, what a place to live. You can have it, friends. It's for each one of you. 
if you're ready to shut yourself off from your associates and the friends of the world, if you're ready to walk in with Christ, then I tell you, your eyes is on Christ. You're walking in the sunlight of God. There's no outside nose in the dim. The skies here, the sun is always shining here. The sky is always bright. It is no place for gloomy Christians to abide. For my soul is filled with rapture as a labor watch and pray. And we're living on the hallelujah side. Every day, every time, every time you meet them, they got the victory in their heart. Praising God, whether the suns are shining or not, they're living in the presence of the King. Don't you want that hidden light? Isn't there something about it that's real? Oh, my. Wish I had time. Then you'll go out of here a different person. You're not long ago, years ago, when they had slavery in the South. There's something about slaves. There's something about the Negroes. But I, I like its humility. Over here in Illinois, I was walking in one time to a, a, a museum. I've seen an old Negro there with a little white rim around his head, had hair. He had his hat in his hand looking around everywhere. He got up something. He stopped. The tears rolled down his cheeks. I've seen him saying his prayer. I watched him a little bit. I walked over to him. I patted him on the shoulder. I said, Uncle, I'm a reverend. I said, I would like to ask you one thing. I said, what excited you to make you pray? He said, come here, Parson. I said, look there. Well, I can see. I said, this woman's dress. He said, but you see that blood on there? I said, yes. He said, that's the blood of Abraham Lincoln. I said, there's a scar here on my side from a slave belt. He said, that blood taking a slave belt off of me. Wouldn't it excite you too? I put my arm around him. I said, if the blood of Abraham Lincoln will excite and stir a slave to emotion from coming off of the slave belt, what must the blood of Jesus Christ preached out the power of the Holy Ghost due to the church of the living God? Yes, certainly it's true. Man of vision, man who understands, man who takes God at his word. We've got to do that, friends. We must believe God and act like Christians. One time when the slaves have been sold, they go around swap slaves and so forth. And that's what you are tonight. Many of you here, many of you through the city and through the country are nothing but church slaves. Nothing but slaves to Christianity when you should be free. Amen. That's right. One time there was an old buyer come through on a big plantation down below the place where I lived years and years ago. I heard the story. And there was a bunch of slaves, and they were so weary. They were away from home. They didn't know what to do. They knew they'd never be gone back. The Dutch brought them over here and sold them for slaves. They away from Africa. Their friends were over there, and their loved ones, they could never go back home. They were so downcast. They just had to drive them. Many times they'd take whips and whip them and everything to make them work. And they noticed one young fellow there. You didn't have to whip him. His shoulders was up. You whip him. He wouldn't pay no attention to it. Walk on like that. He's always in a big way trying to encourage the rest of them. So the buyer said, I'd like to buy that slave. He said, he's not for sale. He said, why is it? So why is it he's so encouraged? And why is he so courageous? So why is it that he's different from the rest of them? said, did you make him a boss over the rest of them? He said, no. said, he's just a slave. said, did you feed him a little better than you feed the rest of them? He said, no, he's just a slave. So what makes him act like that? He said, I wondered myself till one day I found out. He is the son of the king of the tribe. And though he's an alien away from home, he still conducts himself as a, the king's son to keep up the courage of the rest of them. Men and women, we are aliens here on this earth. We are aliens. We are pilgrims and strangers. Our God and our Christ is on the other side, and we are sons and daughters of the king. 
We ought to be conducting ourselves not in gambling, not in smoking, not in drinking, not in picture shows and television programs and scandal lives and chaos. We should conduct ourselves as sons and daughters of God, walking with our heads up, living in the light of the King. Yes, sir. It's yours if you want it. It's yours if you believe that you have to have it. It's yours tonight. May the Lord bless you while we bow our heads just a moment for prayer. The pianist will come to the piano, please, if you will, sister. Every head bowed, your eyes closed. And now we got plenty of time. It's just 9.30. I want to ask you a question while the sister gives us a card. Jesus, keep me here. Anything you wish to play just for music? I'm going to ask you a question. This may be our last time ever meeting here on earth. I'm not much of a preacher. I'm a spare tire for a preacher. My services usually is in the healing lines and so forth. But I do know what I speak of, friends. I know that a man without the new birth is alien from God. He knows not of God. I know you've got to accept that experience if you're ever go to heaven. Jesus said, except the man is born again of water and spirit. So the wind blows where it lifts us, and now can I tell where it's to come or where it goes? And so is everyone that's born of the Spirit. If he doesn't have this experience, he will in no wise enter the kingdom. No matter how good you've been, how well you treat your neighbor, how well you've went to church, how you supported them, all good things, nothing about it. How well you're educated, that's fine. That has nothing to do with it, except the man be born again. A mysterious birth that sends you out yonder into a sphere that you know nothing of when you're an alien, though you go to church and try to do right, still that isn't it, friend. Are you born again, washed in the blood of the Lamb? Is all the sins and things of the world gone from your heart? And you walk and live with Jesus Christ, hid away under the Shekinah glory, ever days of blessing, no ups and downs, but you're living in the presence of the King. Listen, friend, I don't care if your neighbor's sitting here, your pastor's sitting here, whoever's sitting here, if you're short of that experience, I'm asking you tonight to come and receive Jesus Christ. And while a sister gives us a card on the piano, I'd like to see how many here won't be remembered in prayer that should receive this experience. Will you raise your hand and say, God, be merciful to me. I want to come into the presence of God. Will you raise your hand? You mean to tell me around 300 souls and me standing here as God's servant, anointed with the Holy Ghost, and know your heart, and you couldn't hide your life if you had to. You mean to tell me that you're sitting there with your hand down and know that God's speaking to you, saying, I'm that person, and you won't, you won't raise your hand? What will you do with judgment? Aren't you ashamed the way you've treated him? Aren't you ashamed? God bless you, lady. That's courage to raise your hand. I'm sure God will give you that, what you ask for. God bless your gallant heart. Someone else raise your hand and say, God, be merciful to me. If you see what I see, a little boy standing here looking up at me with his hands up in the air. He said, oh, you don't know, he's just a kid. But he knows more than you do then. Don't know as much as a child. The God of heaven here can restore sight. Let the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the dumb to speak. Infallible proofs of his great omnipotence. And then in his presence, while the ministers are gathered together, and you say, I'm, Oh, I'm all right. I'm good as you are. Remember, that's the gospel. It's up to you from here on. Our Heavenly Father, to that lady and little boy that raised their hand, 
Oh, eternal Jehovah, I pray tonight as a minister of the gospel that knows that someday I've got to stand in your presence to give an account for what I tell the people. I pray thee sincerely in the name of Jesus, thy holy Son, that you receive them into your kingdom and shut the curtains behind them tonight, that from this night henceforth that the world will be dead to them and they'll be alive in Christ Jesus forevermore. Granted, eternal God, I ask you sincerely in Jesus' name who promised if you ask the Father anything in my name, that I'll do. God, but not confidence in my prayer, but confidence in your promise. No matter how little it is, what it is, and how weak our prayer is, you promised to Christ. And I bring these people in your presence now, and I present them for the desire of their heart. It's a righteous and a godly desire to walk close to you and be hid away under the power of the Shekinah glory out of the world shut away from them as I have preached to them tonight. And now, God, I believe that you hear what I ask for. And I believe that Jesus' words are true, whatever I ask I would receive. Therefore, now, Father, I thank you for it. And I turn to the adversary, Satan, and say, Satan, we stand as a representative of God. We stand as a bloody cross goes before us, representing the Son of God who died there for your defeat. And you're nothing but a blood. For there he was wounded for our transgressions. With his stripes we were healed, and you're only a bluff trying to bluff the people. But your bluff has been called now. You can't hold them no longer. I adjure thee by the living God, the Lord Jesus Christ, that you depart from them tonight and bother them no more. Believing that we have this, and Jesus Christ said, In my name they shall cast out devils, and you've been a tormentor who's harmed them. But you can't do it no more. They will be liberated from this very hour and live in the presence of God until death shall set them free. Almighty God, we turn to Thee again to give thanks for all Your goodness and all Your mercy. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Eleven Christians, this may be our last meeting time. I have an awful way. I'm uneducated to present what I'm trying. I wish I could present it better. I can't. I don't premeditate on anything. I just speak it as it comes. That's all I know to do. But God has helped me, and I love Him with all my heart, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know that you're here for some purpose tonight. You come, and if you come, there is a fountain for everything you have need of. That is right. Here, some time ago, I was amazed. I guess you read the little story. My two boys that usually comes along, tapes recording, Jeannie Leo, you're all maybe boys right here in Michigan. One of them, a Catholic, was just converted to a Protestant church, come down to Hammond, Indiana as curiosity seeking. They come and see the works of God being done, and they form themselves together as a secret agent to come and follow the meetings to see and watch. They even moved into my town secretly to spy and find out whether it was really right or not. Both of them become staunch Christians, believers. And now, while they were sitting on my porch and I was teaching them one morning, this last summer, I used to be a game warden, you know that, in conservation for years. I studied wildlife. I love wildlife. There's something about it that I love. I've seen him do so many things to wildlife. Seen him conquer the worst in wildlife. And I, I could tell you things that would change your opinion about 
uh, things that uh, uh, the hidden life inside is something secret. You don't tell the world. See, you believe that, that that God can still conquer wild things. He can bring in His submission to anything that He wishes to. He's Almighty God. I could tell you times where my life's been right at stake, and stand and just speak the name of the Lord Jesus and see wild animals wilt right down. I've seen demon maniacs, people stand with a, ready to kill me at one minute, and fall down like that and give praise to God. That's right. I remember one time mowing my yard, and there was, I'd run around the back, people coming and going, I couldn't even get my yard mowed, and it was just going up the front when I was in the back. And I took off my shirt, it was summertime, and I, I took off my shirt and I was mowing with a power mower. I forgot about a big nest of hornets, I don't know what you know what they are up here or not, hanging in the corner. When my shirt off, I hit that fence, and the second time I was covered all with hornets. Don't never hate love. Love is what conquers. And instead of trying to hate those hornets and them humming all over me, two of them would kill you. One of them would knock you to your knees. Sure, three or four of them on you, you die. And there I was covered over with not even a shirt on. Instead of, of hating those hornets, I love the little fellows. That sounds juvenile, but it's true. Now, I said, little creatures of God, I'm sorry I disturbed you. This is your home. But I'm a servant of God, and I'm praying for his sick children, and many are waiting. I haven't time to play with you. Run on up in your nest right quick in Jesus' name and leave me alone. I won't bother you no more. And God, my eternal judge, knows that they spawned a circle and went right straight back into their nest. Love. I've had in Africa, they're standing there, a witch doctor standing there, challenge! Don't you never make a statement there unless you know what you're talking about. Drink blood out of a human skull and cut themselves and things and stand there and challenge and speak the name of the Lord Jesus and see him fall prostrate on the ground. That's right. See him one standing trying to hypnotize me. And while we're there, he's going to make me bark like a dog. He's standing out there trying to do something like that. I felt that strange spirit while they're anointing was going to look around. I said, you child of the devil, why do you do that? I said, Cursed be you, you'll not move from your seat in the name of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. And he paralyzed sitting there in his seat and they packed him out. You have to watch what you're doing. You're not playing church no more. That's right. And sitting on the porch talking, I happened to notice at 10 o'clock in the day, coming up the road, coming old possum. I don't know what you, I guess you have him. Yeah, you do have him here in the state. Not anyone knows that knows conservation. The possum's blind in the daytime. They prowl at night. And here it was, 10 o'clock, coming up dragging his leg like that. And I said, that possum, he passed by four or five houses, coming from the woods over from me, right up the lane. I was the only one who had a fence, but he comes to my gate, turned in, started walking up. I said, that possum's got rabies. See, uh, if that's what's the matter, it's gone mad. And I was on yard late, Rake, laying there, Mr. Woods sitting there, Mrs. Woods was there present. The milk man was standing there talking to me, Mr. Gilmore, a friend of mine, the two boys, all of them sitting there talking. Now I've been teaching to them. A young colored girl the day before had had a baby and took it and wrapped it up and smothered it to death and dropped it in the river like that. And we talked about what a heart that was in that girl. And so I went out there and took a rake and threw it over the possum. And usually they do what you call play possum. They just lay down and grin. Instead of this, she kept squirming. I looked at her, and this is a, I don't mean to turn your stomach, but the flies have blowed her all over, and maggots is all over, and her leg was drawn back this and swell way up that. Either a car hit her, or the dogs have got a hold of her and mashed her up. And I said, oh, she's hurt. And I happened to know she's trying to get up. And when I noticed, she had nine little naked babies about like that, little baby possums. Now I said, this is more of a mother than that girl was. Oh, she's a dumb brute. I said, she hasn't got maybe a half hour to live, but she'll spend that half hour fighting to protect those babies. I said, there's more morals to that possum than there is to that girl. That's right. And I was teaching the boys from that. And just then, 
As soon as I let the rake up, she tucked right off as hard as she could and went right up to my step, right by my step where you go up, and laid down and exhausted. I went up and punched her, and she wouldn't move. And um, so she, the little babies were trying to nurse that milk from her. And they said, well, she's dead. And I said, I don't know. I don't think she's dead. And I punch her again. You just see a little green light come on her lip, you know, like that. And I punch her again. Mrs. Wood's sitting there. She's kind of a veterinary, Mrs. Wood's. She said, Brother Branham, the only humane thing to do with this now, said, them little babies will die. Said, there's only one thing to do is take and finish killing the possum and then uh, kill the baby. Said, because there are two little, puddle, little bitty things about that long. Said, you... They said they're going to die, and said then, and they'll just starve their little selves to death. And I said, Mrs. Wood, that's right, but I can't kill the possum. Why, she said, Brother Branham, you're a hunter. Said, go get one of your guns and shoot them. And I said, I'm a hunter, but not a killer. I said, I, I can't kill those little baby possums. To see that poor mother struggling till she come here and lay down. I said, I haven't got the heart to kill that mother and them babies laying there like that. She said, that's right, but said, the humane thing to do, Brother Branham, think of the little thing, that old milk coming that dead mother there, why, they're, they're, it's just going to kill him anyhow. She said, let Mr. Woods take him and kill him. I said, I just can't do it, Sister Woods. And I wouldn't let him do it. She laid that hot, boiling sun all afternoon. There she laid there. Uh, that night we went out and was riding a little. Mr. Woods said, well, I've ministered enough today, Brother Branham, we better get you out to rest your mind a little. We was riding around on the road, and I seen a little dog laying there. My wife saw it first. The dew was on the ground, and there she was laying there. I said, well, I guess she's gone. I punched her a few times and shook her foot like that, and that old leg laying back like that, and with green flies all over it and everything. I said, my, my, my little girl, Rebecca, the one that just began to see visions, just about that high, she come out, and she said, Daddy, what are you going to do with that possum? And I said, honey, I don't know. And she said, oh, that poor old mother trying to live for those babies. What? I said, yes, honey, that's, that's pitiful. She said, is she dead? And I said, no, she isn't dead. I, I still believe she's got life in her because you watch real close, you can see her side quiver once in a while where she catches her breath kind of like that. Never moving, but just in her side. And so I said, I believe she's still alive. I said, honey, you better go back to bed. It's too early for you to get up. And I went in and sat down in the room. And I sat there like this, rubbing my head. And I said, well, I don't know what to do. And a voice spoke to me. I don't know. It's up to you to believe it. If you want to, it's up to you. But a voice, audible voice, spoke and said, she's laid at your gate for 24 hours like a lady waiting for her turn to be prayed for. I said, I didn't know that. And said, well, she come up there and she's laid and you haven't prayed for her yet. She's waited and waited. And I said, well, I didn't know I thought, what am I, am I talking to myself? I thought, where's that voice? And I went out to where the possum was. I said, dear Jesus, if you, with your omnipotent power, I know that you're concerned about even a sparrow that couldn't follow this street without you know it. And this possum don't even have a soul. It's an animal. And if you directed that old mother possum up here, and he said in there also, you used her yesterday for a sermon and told what a real mother she was, and here she wants to live for her babies, and you haven't prayed for her. And I said, God, if, if that's you speaking, I'm sorry the ignorance of your servant. I didn't know that the possum was laying there for that. I said, Lord, if it's if for you, for me to do this, I pray then in Jesus' name, Father, that you'll give the possum back her life. And no more than said that, here's truth. That possum raised up and looked at me, gathered up her babies back in her little a possum and the kangaroos, the only two animals that has a, a pocket they pack their young, gathered up her possums, walked out there just as good as any, any possum could walk, turned around to me as if to say, thank you, sir. Right down the road she went, right on over to the woods, happily to 
live with her baby. If God Almighty, and that's the truth, the Bible's laying before me and witness after witness, the local papers tacked it and everything else. Look, if God is concerned enough to take pity on an ignorant possum, how much more does he think about a son or daughter of God who's in need? Do you see, my brother and sister, God still lives and reigns. Don't you believe that? If you're without him tonight, accept him. Is there any sick here that wants to be prayed for? Oh, about six, eight, six, eight hands. All right. Now, bow your head. And you who want to be prayed for, lay your hands over on somebody next to you. And believe that. With all your heart as you lay your hands on someone. I want you to do this. Now, this, I don't want you, I'm going to say a prayer. I want you not to, just to say it, I want you to pray. And you follow me now as you make your confession. And say just the things I say. Almighty God, Creator of heavens and earth, Author of everlasting life, Giver of every good gift, I, your servant, stand in need. I now believe that Jesus Christ, your Son, died to save me from sin. And I accept that, my salvation. I believe that he was wounded for my transgression, and with his stripes I were healed. And I believe it, and I accept it, and I believe with all my heart that his stripes heals me now. And I will accept it, I will testify of it, I will glorify God by it, and from this night on, I will praise him for my healing. Through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Now, just remain where you are. Keep your head bowed. That's your prayer. You've asked God. Jesus said, ask the Father anything in my name, I'll do it. Could he lie? He couldn't be God. He didn't lie. Don't have confidence in your prayer. Have confidence in what he said. He said it. Every devil is trembling. Now keep shut in with God. Keep your heads bowed. Keep shut in saying, Dear God, I believe right now. In your heart say, Oh, I just know that your great Holy Spirit is now coming into me. I can feel my sickness leaving. I believe it, Lord, upon the confession of my faith. And I believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is sitting at the right hand of the Majesty as a high priest making intercessions upon what I'm confessing right now. Just believe that in your heart now. Say, oh, God, I've accepted it. It's mine. It belongs to me. Now I am healed. I'll never no more have this stomach trouble, this female trouble, this condition that's been on me. It'll never be no more. I now believe it. I accept it. With all your heart, believe it. And while you stay shut in, now I'm going to pray for you. Now, this is my prayer. That was yours. You've accepted. Now, there's only one thing to keep you from being healed right now. That's a little shadow hanging over you called unbelief. God in heaven, help me to be able to make that shadow leave you. If it'll leave you, you that's on crutches will walk away without them. You that's sick with your hands laid on each other, the Bible said, they shall lay their hands. These signs shall follow them that believe it. They shall lay their hands and they shall recover. See, upon the sick they shall recover. 
That's your hands, one another, laying on one another. He sees you. He hears your confession. He knows what you're talking about. He's accepted. He has to. Jesus can't lie. He is God. It's impossible for him to lie. You are now healed. Now, if that shadow will just leave you, now as the servant of God, I'll pray and ask God to cast that demon of fear that's afraid to take him at his word, afraid that you can't get along, and you, it, it's something you, you just can't make it. And I believe that God will heal every one of you. You'll get up from here tonight and walk out and be well. How will your heads bow? Now, Heavenly Father, and this little handful of people gathered tonight here in this auditorium, not no faith in ourselves, for we know that we are a failure to begin with. And I'm not worthy to pray for these people. I, uh, Satan doesn't care about me. He knows that. He ain't afraid of me. He ain't afraid of no Christian here. But what he's afraid of is the blood of Jesus that's going before him. That's what he knows. He can't transgress. He can't pass over that blood. He can't do it. And he realizes, Father, that he's defeated. He realized that there at Calvary, Jesus Christ stripped him of every authority he had. He hasn't got one legal right. He hasn't got one legal thing. The full penalty of sin and sickness was paid for at Calvary. And we are the attributes of everything Jesus died for. And he knows that he's defeated. And the only thing that he can do is haunt the people. He can't possess them. He can only haunt them when their confession is up on the unadulterated blood of the Lord Jesus. Wherein lays the life. Now, Father, I pray that you'll help me as your servant, as one who believes in you. I've left home. I've left everything to serve you. I love you. And you're real. And you make yourself real. And I love you, Father. I'm not worthy to love you. But it's not my merits. It's his merits who received me. And I love this people. And I see the dark shadows as it was trying to hang around and say, well, I won't get it. Oh, Satan, you're defeated. In Jesus Christ's name, I cast you away from the people that you can't hold them any longer. Jesus Christ makes them free, and you are defeated, and they shall be made well because if they confess their faith in God, they confess their faith in Jesus Christ, they have accepted his facts for their healing, and you cannot walk over the blood of the Lord Jesus, so therefore you are defeated, and I adjure thee by the... Son of the living God, Jesus Christ, that you come out from the people at this minute and go away from them. In Jesus' name. While you have your head bowed, every man or woman that believes and dares to take the unadulterated word of God, and you believe that right now that the blood of Jesus is hanging before God the Father on his bloody garments that thereby his you were healed, and you know that you take him at his word, I want you to stand to your feet. There you are. There's the defeat of the devil. There's the defeat of the devil. He's lost the victory. You're healed. God has made you well. Let's raise up our hands. Heavenly Father, we give thee thanks and praise for the power of our time, the Lord Jesus. We praise thee through his holy name. We bless God for the power of the resurrection of the Son of God. We thank you for divine healing. Watch the neighborhood, Lord. May they be a testimony wherever they go. They are praising thee and glorifying thee. Oh, God, day by day their strength will come to them. New life, new health, new joy, new strength shall come day by day. And we give thee praise through Jesus Christ our Lord. 